It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We spent a lot of time talking about the third and 15 pass play that Joe Flacco hit for 34 yards against a, a, a blitz that, that gave the Browns their game-winning drive and their game-winning field goal. We spent a lot of time talking about the dropped Robert Tunyon catch that, that could have been a huge play for the Bears early that resulted in incompletion. We talked, spent a lot of time earlier in the week talking about Darnell Mooney not able to secure the Hail Mary. But there were some, some nuances on Thursday that we were getting into that, to me, set us up to have a little discussion here thematically about losing football about why a team is five and nine, about moments that need to be uh, met that aren't met. And as silly as it may sound to you, I'm going to start with the coin flip because what was notable to me, David, in, in kind of having these conversations of trying to figure out, are you, are you sharp enough? Are you prepared enough to, to seize opportunity? We spent a lot of time with Richard Hightower talking about the end of half decision to bypass the 55 yard field goal attempt and, throw a Hail Mary at the end of the half. And that explanation was clear cut and forward. They were well outside their kick line. They were well outside what they refer to as the monster kick line, which is the, if it's the end of the half or the end of the game, we're comfortable stretching this line to X yard line in order to just take one, you know, 10% crack at, at making a kick. But in that discussion, there was a ton of conversation about the wind and the wind and the wind and the wind and the wind on that side of the field was particularly gusty and particularly um, obstructive, I guess is the word for it. And so the follow-up question was, why was that the way you were going at the end of the first half when the Cleveland Browns won the coin toss and elected to receive the ball, and then you put yourself in a position where in the second quarter, when you're going to be going potentially for the last drive of the half, you're going toward the goal line that has the most difficulty kicking in. And so eventually I got around to talking to Richard Hightower about that decision-making process. Here's some of that back and forth. Do you have input into choosing direction in terms of the coin flip happens? You guys are figuring out which way to go to start the game, which way to go to finish the game. Are you involved in that? Yes. So when mm-hmm. kicks sort of sailing further the other way on Sunday and you guys going the harder direction in the second and fourth quarter. What, what, what factors are there? Yeah. So what factors, great question D the factors there, uh, or you have to look at what they've done traditionally. They've never taken the ball, right? When was such a factor in that game that they decided to take the ball? So we thought about it in terms of getting our offense going, getting everything going and having a winner at our back and playing field position in the first quarter because we wanted to start hot. We wanted to start fast. You know, you just don't you just don't know what you mean. You don't know in the second half what's going to happen. Our our mindset was offense, defense, field position, first half with the win. Let's go since they took the ball. And then in the second half, we don't have the decision. They do on the win. Hmm. Terrific question, D. <laughs> so I, I, I'm curious, David, what you make of that, just given given the fact that it, it felt like the Bears were prepared to be getting the ball regardless of who won the toss. And then Cleveland won the toss and chose to take the ball, which is something they haven't done all year. And, you know, 
Hightower's explanation there is the Bears wanted the wind at their back in the first quarter so they could get off to a fast start. Do you well, think that first- was did that was, think that was a, a mistake then? That that was a misread and they weren't prepared for the the Browns to take the ball. Potentially, right? Like potentially, and they, but they did say they wanted to have the the ball or the wind at their back in the first quarter to get off to a fast start. Well, their first three drives in the first quarter were three and out, three and out, and six and punt. And so, uh, even even with the win, they had nothing going. But it, uh, it's just one of those little details. I, you know, we always reflect back on the hash mark decision that Matt Nagy didn't make against the Chargers in that fateful game in 2019, and you just remind yourself that every little calculation, every little decision within a a, a game matters. And I just I'm curious. About about that because obviously it led to that end of the half sequence that led to you going in a direction where the wind was was not favorable and you ultimately had to pass up uh, what people thought could have been a realistic kick if you had optimal conditions but you didn't have optimal conditions and you threw a hail mary and it was intercepted slash incomplete and the half ended. So my initial reaction to a lot of that is is number one if the Bears were caught off guard by the coin flip decision by the Browns it's pretty much the way the season has gone. But the other thing is that I think it just to me reflects how how small the margin for error is when you make a bad decision on the coin flip and it actually does affect the outcome. I don't know how many teams in the National Football League are impacted by what happens at the coin flip. And <laughs> and we have spent a lot of time this year talking about, well, you know, the Bears are three and one when they win the toss and they take the ball. And I just don't know if the San Francisco 49ers have these conversations. Yeah, maybe not. And, 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 I, and I think it's interesting because it reflects just how how little room for error there is. Yeah. But I I think they blew it. I mean, if you if you're if you don't if you don't have the wind when you think you want the wind, that's a that's a mistake, right? And I guess who does that fall on? Does that fall on the players that on the field, that play, uh, the coaches not preparing the players for the coin flip. Can you be unprepared for a coin flip? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And it was I, to me, it was just worthy of kind of an entry point into this discussion about yes. things, uh, about little moments. And I've got two more, and we'll try to get through them quick. The other one um, comes in the the third quarter, the second one, and it's it's the Bears had taken a seventeen to seven lead on the interception return by Tremaine Edmonds, and all of a sudden you're you're in position to or I get, maybe they kicked the field goal on the previous drive, but you're in position to add on to that lead and you get the ball back in the middle of the third quarter. And the first play of the drive is a screen call where Roshan Johnson is leaking out to the left side. This has been shown in certain pockets of social media. I think JT O'Sullivan had an, uh, a commentary on it. If you want to find the QB schools, Twitter account to watch the play, you can do it there. Um, but this was a play that in live action, when Justin Fields threw it away, he threw the ball away on a screen pass to the left side of the field that in live action, I turned to Brad Biggs and I went, what in the world was that? I can't wait to watch that back. And I watch it back and I go, Ooh, God, my goodness. And then I watch it back a third time with all 22 and you, you see it and you go, Oh my God, like this literally is set up to be a 58 yard touchdown and Justin Fields opts to throw the ball away. And you're left scratching your head on on what exactly happened. Well, Luke Getzey had a chance to um, – Adam Hogue asked him directly, what was Justin's message to you on why he did not throw that pass to a back who is sitting in a spot for a screen with four blockers to handle one defender? And the ball went to the sideline because Justin threw it away. Here was Luke's response to that play. I think anytime, right – whether it's a pass play, screen play, whatever it is, right? You you got to trust what you see, what you feel in the moment. And and and, and he did. He didn't feel, something didn't feel right to him in the moment, so he made the the, the safe decision in his mind and and threw it away. And we always are going to preach taking care of the football over anything else. So, I, I know exactly what play you're talking about. 
And I think everybody can remember it. And I did see the, I did watch it a second time. It's the plays like they're the plays like that, that make that first of all happen far too often. We see with, I don't want to say regularity, but we've seen a lot of them. It's plays like that, that limit you from, you know, having 200 plus passing yard days, uh, plays like that, that prevent you from having more than 23 out of 35, 200 yard passing days in your career. And it's plays like that, that make it hard for the Justin Fields isn't the problem crowd to continue to claim that he's not at least part of it because there are too many layups that he misses. There are too many throws that you assume quarterbacks who are, are accurate passers make. And there are too many examples like the Roshan Johnson miss to point to. I watched that so many times and I just came to the conclusion that that's losing football. And now this isn't all pinned on Justin, but it's moments like that, to your point, plays like that, that change the entire next week. If you hit that pass, if you're able to avoid, now look, there's pressure coming, but guess what? You're expecting pressure when it's a screen call. That's the whole point of the design of the screen. So you invite it, you want it, you invite it and you you have to you you tease it and then you fool it. And then you you may not get the ideal passing lane, but you got to create that and you got to get it out there. If you complete that pass and it goes for 50 yards, potentially a 58 yard touchdown there, you're talking about being up 20 to seven or 24 to seven. And the game might be over at that point, the way the bears defense played. And everything that we talked about this week might be in an entirely different frame because of one simple play. And to your point, this is obviously you could single these out in every single game, a missed opportunity, a missed moment that goes the wrong way. But th- this is a, a, an example of something that is is recurrent where where it, it's just there, there, there's nothing wrong with the play other than the ability to to get it to where it needs to go and then watch it unfold. It, it just it's not natural. I, it, there, the, you know, there's there's a. You know, if you're a shooter, it's an easy – you can tell guys that are just – they pick the ball, it's just it's so fluid. But there's nothing really fluid about that throw in that case. And it, it, it could be. You want it to be. And, and, I, and I say this because you don't want to pick on him because there's a lot of, there's a lot of heat being directed at Justin Fields. And, you know, we, we repeat ourselves. But, you know, from an from a intangible standpoint, he's the easiest guy in that locker room to, to support and to like and embrace. But – there were two examples. This is just one of them this week where the coaches have frustration. You know that must be difficult to suppress if you're coaching Justin Fields. Luke Getze did as much as he could there, I thought, to protect his quarterback and not say, you know what, he blew it. He's yeah, got to hit sure. that pass. Matt Eberflus was talking on Wednesday about, I think, uh, a pass that uh, Fields missed with Darnell Mooney, and he yes. sounded frustrated talking about it, but he didn't want to be direct. So there's some restraint being shown here. And it makes you wonder how many times that's happened over the course of the last two seasons uh, before, you know, they got here. That's hard to, it's hard to hold that against anybody, but the progress that you need to see and maybe expect to see from somebody who is your quarterback I don't think that they're seeing, and I think that's evident in plays like we're talking about. The pass you're mentioning that Iberflus brought up on Wednesday was the last pla- pass before the Hail Mary to end yep. the first half where Darnell Mooney is literally sitting down at the number that would have gotten the Bears into field goal range, and pressure came, and Justin put a ball in a location where he brought the safety back into play, and he led Mooney right into traffic where the safety broke it up, as opposed to completing a pass at the 30. Mooney gets right down to his butt. They call a timeout, and they've got a 48-yard field goal attempt to squeeze points out of the first half. So it's a another moment where you're like, man, like you and Matt, I think his words were, you got to have that. 
that can have it has to be made, you know, and that, that, you know, like Matt feels his job security dwindling by the day because of mistakes like that. And that's when you have to understand the stakes that are here. And it's why the great ones in the game get rewarded with $260 million contracts for making plays like that happen. I'll pivot now to the third moment from Sunday. You know the play call for me that I hated, like literally hated in the moment, hated it again and rewatch, hated it again even now. And it's the third and one jet sweep to Tyler Scott. I am struggling to understand why the Bears can't find some bread and butter short yardage concepts that work for them. We saw the goal line situation where they had all those plays down inside the five and it was just a, a constant struggle before they finally get the magic act to get in the end zone on the field fields ex- extended play. Then you have the, the, the fields fourth down uh, rollout that where he gets tripped up and stopped the Tyler Scott one was a play design that is to a rookie receiver to take a sweep around the end and it failed. And then you punted and it didn't seem like a great call. And so I asked Luke dire- directly about that. What in the world were you trying to do there? Here was what Luke had to say about that play call and what happened. I think uh, necessarily other than Philadelphia, right, they got the bread and butter for sure. But other than that, I, I think it's, you know, taking advantage of the situation that you got, right? And, you know, we had two really good opportunities this week. And, you know, you have those two, two, two potential explosives if we're able to handle uh, the situation just a little bit better. Um, but that's both uh, coaching and, and, and players. That's both of us uh, together working on those two opportunities. When you have premier looks, we got to make sure that we, we, we capitalize on them because we had them. We love the call. We love what we were going after. Uh, we just didn't, uh, whether we wasn't us preparing them well enough or whether we didn't execute it well enough, both of those things. But as far as bread and butter, I feel like, you know, we've done a really good job of attacking uh, minus last week in uh, that uh, the, 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 the DJ one, right? We didn't prepare them well enough for sure on that one. What did you love about the, the Tyler, the Tyler call? Uh, there was literally nobody there, and you saw Braxton pancake the, guy, the the only guy that was there. So Tyler gets around the end, and again that get, that end made a nice play. But if we can coach that up just a little bit better, we 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 talked about how we can make that better, and uh, and we will, and we have, and uh, but then you saw Braxton go and pancake. There's literally nobody left. So you're talking about a completely different game if we can get that one done in in the one before, right? I mean Justin's on the edge, right, and get shoestring tackle away from a 20 yard gain. So you know, and, and I get. It. We didn't get it, so that's that's the that's the that's the talk, and it should be. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hmm. That's the talk, and it should be. I agree with him there. Well, I think when you, you use the term you know, short yardage concepts, and, and I think that's what I would like to see uh, improve whoever the coach is next year. And, and I think in any team, you kind of have uh, examples that come to mind. You know what you're going to do in a situation like that. And, and with the Bears, this year specifically, when you say short yardage concepts, I think of three things that, to me, have created uh, – bad trends or bad tendencies. This might not be fair, but this is what comes to mind first. I would want to eliminate going backward. If you're pitching the ball backward, anything that is on third and fourth and one, taking the ball and lateraling it behind the line of scrimmage to make it even harder and you're going deeper. I don't like that idea with a downhill football team. Secondly, I'd avoid going going laterally 
as much as possible. This is what that was. Jet sweeps are all the rage. I don't like them on third and fourth and one. Too many bad things can happen with too many people who aren't used to doing what they're being asked to do. And, and the third thing is the f- gimmicks. I, I think you want to avoid gimmicks at any stretch. You don't want the tight end taking the snap. You don't want a shotgun for wildcat formation. You don't want to do the tush push if you're not equipped to do the tush push and somebody's going to jump. If you can eliminate those three things and just, you know what, put the fullback in the backfield, dot the eye, hand the ball off, and get your yard downhill, okay, now we're starting somewhere. If that's the identity of your football team, lean into that and avoid those other things. Yeah, find something to lean into. And, that, you know, I didn't love Luke's response there because, it, yeah, obviously there's a lot of plays where you could go, oh, that's that's 35 yards if, if, it's, if it runs. Well, it was a loss of one or a, a no gain, and you punted the football away. And so ifs and buts, you know, it's just not it, – it wasn't there. And, um Again, these are these are little things that add up to big results that add up to the the, the change in the outcome of a game, which lead to the change in the outcome of careers in a lot of instances. And so, again, like you hear me on this podcast often talk about the stakes of everything that's involved for everyone. You talk about this being a, you know, cutthroat league where where you better understand how steep the climb to the top of the mountain is. And if you're not ready for it, the avalanche is going to take you back to the bottom. And and, and that too consistently happens with this football team that that works inside of this building that I'm in right now. Anything else on the Luke Getze appearance uh, before we move on to our predictions in the numbers game? No, I mean, like, I think he's he's striving to seek improvement and highlight improvements that they have made. And, you know, there have been some, um, but look, we've got three weeks left and, and this offense is, is uh, just still kind of not carrying its weight as much as it needs to be. We've talked before, there's a, a an accountability pie chart with a lot of pieces in it, and there's a lot of people that own uh, accountability for that. And and certainly Luke and Justin are, are, are have the biggest pieces of that pie. When Matt Eberflus was asked on Wednesday about Luke Getze maybe relinquishing play calling duties or his support for his offensive coordinator, and he said he loved the guy, he didn't say – did, did, did that answer – strike you as uh vague in any way what did you think about the way he responded to that no i think it was present you know and i think that's kind of a staple of matt i mean he said he loves luke he's a great leader in that room but he's focused on this week and i think that was just a football coach being football-y and trying to stay present in the now without trying to talk about job securities that will come up in in three weeks here um again we just keep getting closer and closer to the time when these decisions will be made um and we'll know a lot more uh, after the calendar flips to 2024. 